My name is Scott Challoner, and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. Now, as regular listeners of our show will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, we're joined on today's programme by Simon Biltcliffe. Simon, hello and welcome to the show. Oh, hello. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for the invite. Likewise, Simon, delighted to have you alongside me as well. And just for those listeners that may not be familiar with Simon, he's an award-winning CEO, international public speaker and business expert, and the founder of National Print Services Agency, Webmart. Um, He also established the world's first digitally driven print platform, Trade Print Management, and I'm sure we'll be talking all about those today. Um, But just to kind of like um, sort of set the scene a bit further for those that might not have heard of you personally, Simon, um, your businesses, I've given a brief overview as to what it is that you do, but what is it that you specialise? in in your own words just to uh, to start us off yeah i mean basically if you look at um any company there are certain things that any successful company need to do they need to find more customers they need to keep and cross sell to their existing customers they need to reactivate people who've fallen out of love with them and they need to get people who are in love with them to tell others about them that's in uh, either business to business or business to consumer and so we have four programs um for any company who wants to actually develop that side of their business, so either finding new customers ex- or ex- expanding their uh, existing customer base, and that's either online or offline. Now, I mean, yeah, our heritage core is uh, physical marketing, which is print and related services, but now we're doing uh, online and offline data-driven marketing as well. So we've we've expanded and evolved as everybody. Um, must do in this world and uh, it's been really successful so uh, yeah exciting times yeah, certainly seems the uh, the case, and uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, in this day and age, you know, sort of post pandemic, and in the uh, the current sort of cost of living and inflationary pressures we find ourselves in, you know, that agility, that ability to adapt is really important. And of course, we will be touching on that, I'm sure, during the uh, the program. But just backtracking before we get to uh, to that stage, yeah, um, I'd be interested to understand, Simon, um, at what point you kind of realised going into business for yourself was going to be the way f- forward for you. Uh, what really motivated you to sort of go your own way? Really, because the companies I'd worked for were so dreadful. Um, it, just really in terms of their the way that they didn't understand people. Um, the company I worked for before was half a billion turnover. And this is in 1997, uh, employed 5,000 people. And I just really felt that it the, the financial overrode any other aspect of the business. And so it was ever, uh, heavily leveraged. It had a lot of debt. Um, so everything revolved around the financial return, uh, irrespective of what that meant for uh, people, their careers, the people that are working in the business and the wider community. And I just thought that if they can be successful um, acting that way, then what, how much more successful could you be if you re- inverted that? and made your business work around delivering the intellectual, emotional, and financial return to the people that work there, rather than it being about the entity that they work in. And if you look at uh, a business, to me, it's really simple. Um, it's a, you know, a business is a bag of people, and the better the people you get, the more aligned that, that you get to the purpose of the organization, the better 
the business will be and it will perform in the long run. And so if you focus on, on that, those three things, the intellectual, emotional, and financial return, um, you are going to be a really good employer because you understand the people, you understand their comparative advantage, you aggregate that together to deliver a really clear vision. And as a consequence of that, you get there much faster and aligned. And that's where the concept of um, WebMart, which is the company started uh, and is evolved um, into what we call a Marxist capitalist business, which is a bit of an oxymoron. But it's really just, it, it sounds scarier than it is. It uses capitalism to create wealth because it's exceptionally good at creating wealth. Um, but it has no redistributive element within it, naturally, as, as, we, as we've seen, you know, in many different ways. Um, and it doesn't take into account externalities, as they're called in economics, you know, the kind of pollution, environmental degradation, et cetera, that, that you do. Uh, and then you use the wealth that is created by capitalism to share it out using Marxist principles, which are really giving back to the people that have created it the surplus profits, the ones that we don't need to keep the business strong and reinvesting and innovative and creative, uh, the surplus profits go back to the people that have made it and take into account the externalities. So we, the environmental impact that we do, we, we've invested heavily in mitigating that, not just offsetting, but actually reducing that. And also it gives a momentum. It's like having almost like an IPO every year. You know, every year people get a bonus and uh, the, based on the profitability of the business. And that really does take out an awful lot of the pressures that most uh, company leaders have within their business. You know, there's always that, that friction between those that own it and those that work in it. Whereas if you vest it this way, it has a wonderful momentum. It allows it to be easier for the leader and leadership team to work because you've got that natural alignment and it gives a long-term sustainable business. And bear in mind, you know, the print industry, which we've um, our heritage is in and we still have as our core offer, um, has gone through such a lot of mm -hmm. change as every market has. But we've, you know, we've had the, you know, I started it in 1996. Um, so you can imagine the internet came in and then there's been huge uh, changes in the, the marketing ecosystem. But we've managed to develop a business that is now 25 million pounds turnover with only 42 people and uh, giving a significant bonus to everybody every year for uh, the entire 25 years without any external investment. And, you know, so as a model, as a case study of an alternative way of doing things, it really has worked, and it stood the test of time through all of the macroeconomic challenges that we've had, through the structural changes that we've had within our marketplace, and also through the evolution of the of the employee base that you've got from, you know, the more traditional management style through to the millennial, through to now the Gen Z, as they're called, that are coming into the marketplace, and we've managed to adapt and evolve through it, and it's been a joy to be honest, uh, to run a business with that kind of alignment in it mm. because it makes it easy. You, you don't have those, those conflicts that most senior managers spend most of their time trying to um, ma you know, manage out of their business. It has a natural centripetal force that you know, the bigger we get, the stronger it gets rather than the more fractious it gets. 
And that's incredibly important, isn't it? Because, you know, in the context of the aftermath of the pandemic, as we've alluded to a little bit earlier, businesses need this. I mean, they need to show that, you know, well-being and purpose are at the uh, the forefront of their priorities because we've heard so much about, you know, the great resignation, people thinking about, well, why am I working for this business? Uh, what is its purpose? I mean, I've got to prioritise, obviously, my own mental health and well-being is the job that I'm in doing that. And if you're not a leader and you're not moving with the times along with your business to, you know, accommodate these sort of changing demands and changing priorities in what is a very difficult environment for recruitment right now, you're going to be losing out, aren't you? Absolutely. And, and I think the clue's in the name leader. It's being ahead of it, not reacting to it, not waiting for people to ask for pay rises and what have you. Um, not, not actually not being aware of the mental strain and the familiar, you know, community strain that we're in under at the moment and actually reflecting that in your value proposition without going through market, marketing, you know, to understand that that does matter to the people that work for you and the work people that work with you, the suppliers who are critical to any business and the customers, of course, that uh, fund your business. Um, but looking at that outside in perspective, it really does allow you to make sure that you appeal to all of the key stakeholders within your ecosystem because it's not about you. It's always about how you can deliver value outside your organization, not just to the customers. That's the kind of logical one, but also to suppliers because suppliers are a source of massive comparative advantage if you look at any uh, business and I think you know there's there's been a lot of supply chain stress through the COVID period and if you work really well with your suppliers you get you aggregate together the best of those to deliver to your customers the best solution that you can get so we look at it we have a two-way uh, business model we look at how we deliver value outside our organization to suppliers aggregate that together to offer an unbeatable uh, service to customers and obviously if you've got engaged people within your organization who are enjoying their, themselves who feel you know in the Maslovian hierarchy of needs kind of way you, you, you know, our role as senior leaders is to make sure we look after all of the, the kind of housekeeping elements of Maslow and so they can go to their self-realization and actualization elements so they can be the best that they can be then you you have an innovative organization that's adaptable to change and it works. And, you know, a lot of people uh, come to see where Mark to see how we approach things, but an awful lot of it's common sense. It's just that we have never borrowed money. Um, we've, we've been self-funded. So that gives us much more flexibility than if you've got external stakeholders or shareholders or investors who, you know, have a different alignment to you. You know, they're wanting short to medium term returns and in the nicest possible way, they're not as vested as uh, they, you know, as we are in our long term success. So I, I do realize that I'm in a, you know, very lucky position to be able to do all of this, which isn't always open to, to many uh, people who are running their business. But I do think it is a, uh, it, you know, you look at the challenges that you've got on talent, developing, retaining talent. Um, I think a lot more people are looking in the same way that we at Webmart look um, about people rather than looking as a dispensable resource that you've got to you know, pay as little as you can to get um, the maximum uh, productivity out of by just taking the cost out. We're looking at a value in uh, proposition and we have, you know, pre 
at COVID times, we used to have about 1,200 people a year coming to visit us just to understand the ethos of the business, see the, mm. the physical building is distinctively different um, from most organizations. Um, and, and really just to understand how you can invert what is seen as the only way you can run a business into a, something that's a much more empathetic but effective business than the conventional norm. And that's why it's, uh, it's been successful through all of the times that um, we, you know, we, we've been through good and bad. And obviously with it putting people first as well and prioritising their, you know, their well-being and their development, I suppose when you as the leader also kind of need that time out for yourself to sort of take a step back and sort of take that sort of work-life balance into account, would you say that it's easy for you to do that also? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, I'd always done uh, for, for many years is what do what I call a DIY MBA. So MBAs to me... Many of them aren't that progressive. Um, so what I did was the only thing in my diary that was um, actually rock solid and wouldn't change around is my Tuesdays when I used to take time out to do my own MBA, which will be you know reading things like The Economist, looking at podcasts and videos, um, understanding things that are future facing you know things like federated artificial intelligence which is something that you don't normally get the opportunity to do but what i find is most leaders i'm so busy i mean i just don't have time for my professional development myself but this is a a, a no-cost way of achieving that space just ring fence half a day in your diary um to do your personal development to have a reflective you know this is a thinking not doing time you know we can all do lots of work you know you sit there with all your screens in front of you and you know emailing all the time you're always online and this that, and the other but you do need time to reflect and i'm not a particularly deep and reflective person but to think to be future face your career others to make sure that you're out seeing customers and seeing suppliers it, it may be in completely unrelated marketplaces but you always get ideas from that but it does need time to be able to do it so that was the biggest luxury that i had and it was a self-discipline thing um and it's getting your your your, your organization to understand you're not accessible at that time and that's good from a succession planning point of view means you, mm. you've got to force that um, which, which is a huge a huge issue with with many organizations and get your you get your uh, roles and responsibilities sorted out so people know that in the unlikely event that you get run over by a bus there's resilience in your organization but for me that was a l- absolute liberation because when i'm talking to Senior people outside my organization, other owner managers, other CEOs of companies, uh, on supply, all the client side, you've got to have something interesting to talk about. And if all you're talking about is the here and now, you, you know, you've got a team that can do that. You, they Quite often they're wanting a bit of, you know, informal peer mentoring, really, and just a chat with with somebody who's going through the same kind of thing and if you haven't got new things to bring to them it quite quickly you lose your, your the added value that you can have from your meetings so for me that was a, a really you know i'm from barnsley yorkshire i'm tight i don't like wasting money so if i can uh do it myself for next to no cost and and be ahead of the curve that really worked for me so that that, that creating that space in your your diary is a critical thing and as i say i called it my diy 
MBA. So it's a, it, it's a personal development time for me and the leader and the leadership team now do that as well. And I think it's really, really, really important. It is really important. And you mentioned, of course, from a succession planning point of view, but also I think it's from when you're taking the decision to sort of scale up your business, isn't it? If you're sort of a younger entrepreneur, because so many struggle, don't they, with taking the step back from, you know, the day to day running of the business and moving into that more strategic role. But if you start to ring fence times of your day to professionally develop it, sort of more of a natural transition, isn't it, going into that position and looking ahead? It is. And, and also it manages expectation. Nobody in any business is indispensable and nor should they be. Um, so if you, if you have that time out where it is not possible to get you on a regular basis, you have to make sure that you have a um, resilient succession planning in place all the way through the business. It's not just about the top people. It's about all the way through the organization because everybody who is managing people should be able to uh, have somebody in place who can step up to their role and they need to be trained in it and they need to be experienced in it and that may be uh, uh, like a a, um, it's a culture shift that you know you have to share to be able to do that because if if you're taking time out you can't have it that the business stops you can't have it that customers can't get the immediacy of reaction that you need or suppliers have uh, answers that you, they need of you. So you you need to get that resilience in. And that really does give you um, a very strong uh, kind of organizational structure, which allows for when thing, people move on, as obviously they do do, uh, or they want to change of role within your organization, which we have a lot of, where people evolve through the, the career at Webmark into totally different uh, areas. So, for example, um, our head of finance and sustainability, Helen, started in telesales with us. But we realized after a time that she had a much greater aptitude in that, in finance. So we put her through a finance course, and now she, she's heading that up. And same with Richard Boone, who's um, our managing director. He started out as a as a management trainee in the IT team, and now has gone through customer service, gone through new business sales, and has now uh, taken that role at 34 into being the managing director of the company. And that that gives you a great opportunity and a great longevity of the organisation, because if you have senior people of a different um, generation to the uh, people that have established it, that gives a more um, empathetic and relevant value proposition because they understand more intuitively the kind of customer base that we're dealing with because our customer base is around the mid-30s, typically, as a mean. Mm. Um, so there's no point having me at 57 telling 30-odd-year-old marketing people their best approach. It's better to have people who are of that same uh, mindset, that same um, generational uh, approach to to do that and you know similarly on new business we've got uh, Tom Maskell who's uh, 25 who is heading up sales and marketing and that is you know massively important as we've transited from simply offering print-based marketing to digital data-driven and print-based marketing uh, so you need it needs to have native understanding of it rather than acquired and that, that's allowed us to rapidly um, broaden out our, our reach in, uh, for the product and service lines we can offer customers. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that sort of generational knowledge is so, so, so important. And you've also talked about the importance there of, you know, sort of that development pathway in leadership. And if we look at things like, you know, this great resignation that's come out of COVID, we've seen people dissatisfied um, at the lack of sort of progression pathways and opportunities in the roles they're in. And that's why there have been those exoduses in certain industries. And it's so yeah. important, isn't it? Because um, I think sometimes we can cross the wires between leadership and management. And leadership, naturally, it's got to have that sort of development that coaching side to it to develop the Absolutely. individual it has hasn't it it does i i think you know i've often said this these days managing has got to be usurped by mentoring it's a much more empathetic approach to it and if you like if you look at your employees as employers sorry employees then you're missing a trick you've got to really look at them as volunteers and act in that way. Think of people who are working for your organization. They're volunteering their time. Yes, you pay them. Of course you pay them. But they can get that money anywhere else. So you've really got to wrap this the, the uh, approach to employing people around the individual. Their personal development is hugely important. Their continual professional development path. Also, their work-life balance is really important. So getting that that, that uh if you like, equilibrium between their personal needs and their professional needs and, of course, the organizational need is that, that holy trinity, that nexus that you need to uh, succeed in this in this world. You cannot ignore the, these externalities. It, it is a key opportunity for any progressive company to actually acquire the talent from less progressive companies. So for me, the great resignation has been a wonderful opportunity mm. for us to bring in people to the organization that do want something more than just a job that doesn't actually have purpose in it and doesn't understand the environmental crisis that we're going through. You know, these things are really important to people and they've always been really important to our organization. And, you know, having this Marxist redistribution has allowed us to invest in things like the Webmark Oxygen Farm, which is a 166-acre rewilding project that we have in Coldingham. And the, you know, being one, the first person in our marketplace to develop the proper carbon calculators for the impact of what people are doing in the circular economy. So, you know, people are really attracted to that type of value proposition as an employer. And of course, when they're, they get an alignment with the rest of the team through the bonus structure that we've got through the, the profit share, it gives that you know wow factor that people talk about. And if they talk about it to their peers, then when they they compare it with their offer of the, the company that they're working for, they're really understandably interested in joining us. And it's given us a great boost to bring in fresh talent uh, to uh, take the business forward for the next three years strategy. And do you think that that model that you've built your business on to great success is more of a sign of how sort of business and politics do tie in? It's not just as superficial as business has to operate in the environment that policy from government dictates that we have to operate in. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, the reason, you know, one of the things that I've been able to do because the business is running well is take time out. And I'm now co-leader of the Yorkshire Party, which is a, a devolutionist party. Um, the, uh, and it's the politics if you want to tr change the scale, you have to be involved in, in politics. Politics sets the rules of the game. And some of the rules of the game are wrong, quite bluntly. And we need, you know, you need to engage 
people who've got real world experience in uh, in politics to get real world solutions that aren't for the vested interest, but are for the planet, are for the people that live within it, and are for wider society, the least wealth in society, as well as the the people who've got the great opportunities. And this is where the, the two things should be inextricably linked, but people just shy away from politics because they're just fed up with the people that are in it now, the nonsense that comes out of it. And, uh, you know, it's the fight or flee, and I'm, I'm all for fighting. I don't, I don't enjoy uh, seeing what, what we see about politics now. It is too important to leave to professional politicians, and it needs people uh, with a, a good lived skills and, uh, and lived experience to come in and hopefully uh, change, change things for the better. And this is where, as a, you know, Yorkshire has 5.5 million people in it. It's bigger than Scotland, uh, twice as big as um, as Wales, and we've got absolutely no democratic responsibility here. We've got nothing. I've uh, got a few metro mayors um, which have got tiny uh, portfolios. If you look at uh, most of the G7, the local uh, tax raising powers are in the 30s to 40 percent, you know, like Sweden. They've got huge opportunities to invest in the local infrastructure. And, you know, we've we only 6% of our revenues are raised locally in the UK. And as a consequence, we don't have the infrastructure that allows people to thrive and the communities to thrive and a low carbon green economy that we need to develop. So the two things are, you know, it's a natural extension. You know, I'm, I'm doing it, a, a, if you like, a, a microeconomic level with Webmart and, and uh, the kind of work that I do in the kind of charity field. Um, but if you want to make change at scale, you have to get involved in politics. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to do now um, with the Yorkshire Party. Yeah, and understandably so. And uh, you, you see it with things that have come out of government recently, like the levelling up agenda, for instance, things that promise much, but of course, the execution is um, yet to be desired, let's say. So, you know, even yeah. though you are sort of demonstrating things on like the macro scale, I mean, business is scalable. So surely, obviously, political application in the same way is also scalable. Absolutely. And aligning purpose. You know, I always say business is like a game of snakes and ladders. You know, everybody understands it if you keep it simple. So, you, you know, we set targets of 100. Now, we take, take, uh, set targets of 100, not just on financial matters, but on the intellectual and emotional well-being side of things as well as a business. But you, you go to 100, and you can either go laboriously along from one all the way up to it. Or if you build a, a strong coalition and a strong network and a collaborative approach, then you'll find ladders, lots of them. So you can get there a lot faster. And also, it'll help you avoid snakes. Because people, if you're doing good things for the right reasons, for the greater good, people try and help you and try and uh, help you avoid the the snakes in the world uh, to get there faster. So I do think that a lot of what we do, the approach that we've we've taken at Webmart over the last 25, 26 years, uh, is transferable onto the national scale, into the uh, national stage, into the political arena. Um, and I hope that um, you know we can we can start to work in a collaborative way with other parties um, to deliver the changes that we need to do. I, you know, it's interesting to me to get into politics after being working in business. It really is a very old-fashioned approach that 
the political processes. It's very high. It's like, to me, it reminded me of business back in the 1980s. It, it was all hierarchical. It's command and control. It's you know, it's very adversarial and very you know macho in the you know strongest wins and all this kind of nonsense. It it, it really is very old and it needs. A different approach, and I hope that the approach that um, we've ha- we've proven works in business, and uh, you know, in more, more progressive businesses, we can bring into more progressive policies. And we had a Yorkshire Party conference at the weekend, and there were four parties represented there doing speeches at our conference, and that was really good because there's more alignment than mm. there is d- disagreement if you go in with that approach. And I think, you know, we can be more successful working with people than against them. And I'm hoping that uh, we can therefore get a much more uh, stronger UK by allowing people, giving people the freedom and the opportunity to create the society that we want economically and and socially uh, where they are by getting a a fairer distribution of uh, opportunity throughout the country and devolution is a key way of achieving that. Mm. And something else as well that just sort of draws to mind is I had a conversation with somebody else on this podcast quite recently, Simon, who talks about sort of the uh, the short termism of the current political system. We're thinking in five year spells just in one parliament, aren't we? Nobody's thinking yeah. about the next 10, 15 years like business does. And we see that in also some of the support measures that come out for businesses. We've seen some great things from institutions like Innovate UK, for instance, but they're one mm-hmm. to three year programs of sort of intensive support. And there's no sort of legacy beyond that to sort of help businesses really take off thrive and keep those innovations in the UK so there needs to be more long-termist thinking in the political system and you know when you talked about change being needed I suppose there is one of them yeah absolutely you can uh, these existential threats that we have like the climate is a long-term thing Mm. everything you know if you're looking to build resilience into into our communities, into our, our uh, organisations, into our companies, into the climate, the, nothing is short term, you know. And and when people are looking, at, I mean, goodness me, with these governments that come and go here, they're looking at months or weeks, not not even years, and uh, and when we need to be thinking decades, and. I hope that we can change that timeline because the, you you know we look at things much more long term when we have more security about our our you know world that we live in. So if we can look at to building resilience into people's lives, um, there's you know a huge amount of um, academic research about path, getting pathways into. Um, schools to help with social mobility, to give people the opportunity to see the choices that, that they have at their early stage in in uh, life. Those are the kind of practical steps. Yes, they're not going to give you a, a return within a three-year period, of course not, but over a 30-year period, they make a world of difference. So there's, we, we need to look at short-term tactical uh, changes, but long longer-term strategic um, changes as well. And this is where I'm hoping that, again, it's a different approach to politics, which says, you know, this we're looking to get a long-term change, not just these sticking plasters that we get. And God help us, things like, you know, all of these regions have bid for small pots of money that the 
you know, the government handout, which is just the least efficient or mm. collaborative way of approaching things. It, it's just counterintuitive to everything that we know in business, everything that we know in common sense and tells you on an individual level. If you had to do that for everything, you know, it, it, it just doesn't work to make the best value for people, the best opportunity for the uh, for society. So let's get a bit of common sense into politics. Let's get a bit of um, experience of people outside of the political bubble into politics, and we will get a huge amount of progress in the country. And we need it. You know, we we need it not just in the rarefied environment of the entitled few down in London. It need, it needs to be where people live giving them an opportunity and you know we're working tirelessly to to do that not just in Yorkshire but across the country there are lots of organizations trying to do that we just need to really get elevate ourselves to a position where we can be heard and that's what I'm uh, trying to work tirelessly on at the moment for the Yorkshire party and building on the heritage of, of the 25 years of leading webmark yeah, certainly so. And uh, let's hope, of course, that we do start to see more long-term thinking, more common sense in politics, as you do say. And I know certainly 12 months ahead from now isn't uh, necessarily the long-term that we've been talking about. But if you do have any sort of key milestones and goals uh, coming up within that time frame, Simon, where do you see yourself a year from now um, in sort of the uh, the aim towards uh, accomplishing that mission that you're on? I think one of the... There's, there's two big things that we need to really get into people's minds. One is voting is a superpower. Voting really does matter, but we take it for granted in the, in the UK. We have no um, education at school about the voting systems and, uh, and why it's important to vote. And if you look at the uh, demographic of elections, it's the old people that vote. It's the young people that don't. And as a consequence of that, we have a strong bias against think, progressive policies for young people, for economic generation um, that uh, you know we we need in this country. So really, getting obviously a non-partisan uh, education on why democracy matters and get people used to it, and tied in with that is a move towards proportional representation. It, it really, you know, we, most of our votes for the people that you know do vote don't count i mean it, it, it's madness um and if you can try and open it up and enfranchise people uh, by having every vote mattering matters to uh, in an election uh, then it, it will make people much more likely to vote in the first place so really bring it you know this is a marketplace if you look at it as that that 75 percent of people typically don't even bother engaging with well, it shows how wrong it is. And, and if you look at it from a business point of view, a market where the the incumbents only get 25 to 30% of people even bothering to uh, engage with them, that's a huge opportunity. And I think by looking at it from a business perspective, making it so that it is more accessible, make it more meaningful, that will be uh, at a strategic level uh, a big stride forward and also from a, at a tactical level in the 12 months to make people realize that there is only an opportunity from getting devolution there is no downside if if we build gdp and growth in the regions it makes all of the uk better it's not a zero-sum game and so we need to get a coalition of aligned people to to actually bring that to the fore this isn't something that is a 
a threat to the uh, integrity of uh, the United Kingdom. It is a way of empowering the United Kingdom. And we do need growth. We do need better productivity. Mm-hmm. And the way that we can achieve this, uh, if you look anywhere else in Europe, from you know, uh, from from Germany to Denmark to Sweden to Netherlands to Ireland, by having a much more balanced economy throughout the country, it's common sense. But here we haven't got that message across. So that's the those are the two things that we need to work towards. Yeah, and let's certainly hope that we do see some real progress on those things uh, moving forward from here. And I think it would be great, Simon, to perhaps catch up in future and sort of talk more about uh, sort of how far we've come in the time between our discussions because it's been really enlightening for me welcoming you on. It really has. Fantastic. No, absolutely. And, you know, this is the, this is the start of a ch- the changes that we need to make and we will make. And everybody's fed up with the way it has been. It's not been successful for the majority of the country. It's not been successful for the environment. It's not been successful for people and families that live in the UK. Let's 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 make a change, and it, it can be done. And if anybody wants to get involved in politics, please do. It's important, you know. If you if you're sitting there thinking, "Goodness me, this is," I could I want to change things. Just engage. Doesn't matter what party you're in. If you've got lived experience and you've got the opportunity to engage please get involved don't 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 uh, just sit at home mumping about it get on and do something about it we need to get better people into politics at all ends of the uh, political spectrum and uh, we will get better politics and we'll get better uh, laws and uh, better rules of the game for everybody in society Certainly so. And um, if you do have something to say about those issues that we have discussed today, um, you can certainly um, share your point of view with us via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us. Or if you run your own business or organisation and you have your own perspective to bring to the discussion table or even your own topical matter or issue to bring to us, then you too can apply to be on our programme and sit down with me and discuss that via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply as well. Um, for now, it's been an immense pleasure welcoming a winning CEO Simon Biltcliffe onto today's programme and uh, best of luck moving forward Simon with your aims and uh, yeah let's certainly keep in touch and uh, review this in future Thank you very much really enjoyed it and uh, absolutely we'll, we will keep in touch it's the start it's not the end Exactly right and to all listening into this podcast today I've been your host Scott Challoner on another episode of the Leaders Council podcast and until next time do take care all and goodbye